hit TV show Mad Men, Roger Sterling says, I'll tell you what brilliant advertising is, 99 cents. 99 price endings, or charm pricing as it's named, is used across the globe to make prices seem more appealing. Researchers suggest that charm pricing is used on between 30 to 65% of all retail prices. It doesn't seem to matter if the price is $1 or several thousand dollars, 99 endings still make an appearance. The great late Steve Jobs insisted on 99 endings for all of Apple's products, whether it was the cost of the first iPod video download at $1.99 or $100 products like laptops and computers. His legacy remains today. The latest iPhone 12 Pro costs, you guessed it, $999. Charm pricing has, over the years, moved on from just a pricing strategy to a whole category with specific 99 cent and 99 pence stores flourishing across the states and Europe until several years of inflation meant that their prices were unprofitable for most products. And unlike most marketing tactics, charm pricing has transcended out of the office and is a trick that's known by everyone. Most kids with a lemonade stand are smart enough to know that adding 99 on the end of their price can increase their revenue. But do charm prices really work? And if everybody knows about it, does it still have an effect? We'll be exploring all of that and more in this episode of Nudge, the Consumer Psychology Podcast. And we will start by heading back to 1879 to explore the origins of charm pricing. The podcast I'd like to recommend today is the D2C pod brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. The D2C pod is a podcast all about all the things direct to consumer. The hosts cover everything from starting, growing and optimizing e-commerce stores and D2C brands. If you're interested in the stories behind your favorite consumer brands, this is a podcast for you. To start, I'd suggest checking out episode 318, which features the CMO of Feastables. So listen to D2C pod wherever you get your podcasts. Finding a service solution that helps you better connect with customers and keep them happy can feel impossible. It's like trying to remember the name of someone you've just met at a networking event. I've made this mistake before, introducing a colleague to my new friend Dan, only to find out his name was actually Ian. Being personal with your customers is important, but keeping on top of all that information can be very hard. That's where HubSpot's all-new service hub comes in. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform for the first time ever. It's got an AI-powered help desk and an AI-powered chatbot that handles frontline tickets fast. Plus, it comes with a customer success workspace that helps reps anticipate customer needs. Plus, it never forgets a first name. All of that can help you scale support and drive retention and revenue. That means better service and happier customers at every stage of the journey. Visit hubspot.com service to do more for your customers today. Prior to 1879, running a shop wasn't easy. You had to trust staff to take customers' money and deposit every bill into the shop safe. Employees also needed pockets filled with coins to provide customers with the right change, and those who were a bit slow at mental arithmetic could easily shortchange the customer or dramatically undercharge them. All that changed when James Ritty invented the first till. 
The till required employees to punch in a price in order to open the change drawer. Every time the drawer opened, a bell rang alerting the owner. Over busy periods, the owners could expect a constant ringing of that bell and could investigate if there were any suspicious quiet spells. The till was a fantastic idea, reducing employee theft and making sure customers got the right change. Only problem was staff often didn't use it. If the price of a product was a roundup number like $5, then there was no need for staff to open the till to collect change. They simply took the $5 and quickly served the next customer. To encourage staff to use the till, shops started to use odd-numbered prices to compel employees to collect change. Macy's, being one of the first adopters of the till, were also the first to use odd-numbered prices to encourage till usage. As far back as 1880, you can see the majority of Macy's prices ending in a 9 or some other odd number. Almost by accident, retails had stumbled across charm pricing without even knowing. Today, charm pricing is big business, with the world's second most expensive car, the Rolls-Royce Sweptail, costing £9,999,000. You really wonder when spending that much money if £1 actually makes a difference, but apparently it does. Extensive research has been undertaken to understand charm pricing. In fact, charm pricing was actually the subject of one of the first ever studies on psychological pricing. In 1936, researcher Eli Ginsberg published a study looking at charm prices used by a large retailer. At the request of Eli, the retailer agreed to print two versions of their catalogue, some with nine ending prices and the others with rounded amounts. Despite not sharing the statistical detail, Eli called the results interesting as well as perplexing, with some products selling much more due to 99 cent endings and some selling less. And it seems those perplexing results stay true today. A more recent study by Eric Anderson and Duncan Symester also looked at a catalogue sales booklet, this time selling women's clothing. In their study, two versions were sent out, one with round prices, one with nine ending prices, similar to the previous study. Now, these findings were even more bizarre. In the test, buyers were actually more likely to buy a product priced at $39 compared to the same product priced at $34. A $5 increase, getting it up to that charm price, made the product more appealing. There's no conclusive agreement on how effective charm pricing is, but studies showcase that it can have anywhere from a minimal increase in sales right the way up to an 80% increase in intent to buy. So why does charm pricing work? Well, one hypothesis is that people round down. Customers see a product priced at £50 and it's recalled and remembered as being in the £50 category. However, a product that costs £49 is grouped in the cheaper £40 category. On comparison, the consumer subconsciously categorises the £49 version as cheaper, even if it only costs a penny less. Now this rounding idea makes sense, but it doesn't explain that previous finding, where women's clothing sold better at $39 than at $34. You know, those two prices are both in the $30 range and rounding down wouldn't have made a difference. So perhaps a more believable theory is that charm prices convey a message that the price has been discounted. 
we see the 99 ending and take it as proof of a good deal. The only reason why the product or service could be priced that way is because it's on offer. This heuristic solidifies itself every time we see a 99 cent price ending. And now when we see charm pricing without thinking, we just assume it's a good deal. Arguably, however, the opposite is true for premium goods. Many price consultants advise high-end brands to move away from using charm pricing in order to make their product look expensive and high class, in order to make sure it doesn't look like a good deal. Now, whether charm pricing is effective for expensive goods is up for debate, but it hasn't stopped Apple, arguably one of the world's largest premium brands, using it extensively on all of their prices. Charm pricing is just one of many different tactics that you can use to boost your pricing strategy. To help you understand how to elevate your pricing strategy and apply nudges across the marketing funnel, I've built the Science of Marketing course. The Science of Marketing course is a four-part course containing 52 bite-sized lessons. It walks through the core principles of behavior science, teaching you how to apply nudges to your work. Highlighting eye-opening, peer-reviewed studies and fascinating real-world examples, the course will teach you the science behind great marketing and help you become a better marketer. Access to the course is completely free, but the waiting list is long, so don't hesitate and sign up today. Click the link in the show notes or head to scienceofmarketing.teachable.com to sign up. We've covered a lot of science and studies so far, but is it all needed? After all, it is just a one cent difference. Yes, it probably does change consumer behaviour in lab-based experiments, but it won't really make a difference to your bottom line, right? Or maybe not. JCPenney, a large US retailer, is known for its discount pricing. According to the book Blindsight, less than 1% of the firm's revenue comes from goods sold at full price. The rest, 99%, is from discounts, mainly using charm pricing. Back in July 2011, CEO Ron Johnson unveiled an ambitious plan to move the 110-year-old department store into the 21st century. The linchpin beneath this plan was a new pricing strategy called Fair and Square Everyday Pricing. The plan stemmed from Johnson's realisation that three quarters of everything sold at JCPenney is typically sold at a 50% discount from list price. Instead of using deep discounts to attract customers, the chain would simply offer fair, accurate prices for the products with no discounts other than clearance deals. Importantly, Johnson revealed that all prices would now end with a zero instead of the classic nine ending price. Now, it's worth remembering here that Johnson didn't make these decisions blind. His team had a fantastic understanding of how charm pricing worked. After all, they'd been profiting off the nudge for years. They expected a reduction in sales. But in the long term, after a few weeks, they predicted that sales would level out and then start to grow. That short-term effect wouldn't last. That's what they thought. But they couldn't have been more wrong. By year-end, revenue had dropped $985 million, far, far more than the modest initial losses they had predicted. As expected, sales dropped right after the fair and square prices were launched. But the problem was, customers never came back. They opted to shop at other discount stores instead. Despite customer feedback and focus groups stating that consumers would much prefer fair and square pricing, 
In practice, the opposite was true. Consumers didn't behave as they said they would. Perhaps unsurprisingly, JCPenney decided to reintroduce charm pricing widely back into the store the following year. Sales started to rise again and the deficit was overturned. But it is a valuable lesson. What looks like pennies to us on paper can have a dramatic impact on consumer behaviour. And yet, many large retailers seem to be following in the footsteps of JCPenney, attempting to move away from charm pricing. In the book The Choice Factory, one study looked at 650 supermarket prices tracked by Brandview and found that prices are three times more likely to end in a zero than a nine. In fact, some retailers seem to be actively shunning charm pricing, with the grocery store in the UK Sainsbury's only using nine ending prices in 1.5% of their prices. Now, a random distribution of prices would ensure that at least 10% of prices ended in nine, but Sainsbury's tiny percentage clearly showed that the store was actively trying not to use charm pricing. But despite these recent trends, I'd be surprised if charm pricing completely disappears. Even though it's been well used over the last decade, and even though we all know about it, the nine ending prices still have an effect on us. We are drawn towards them and we quickly fall for that heuristic that nine ending equals cheap. Just like other proven biases, charm pricing has to be considered when working on your pricing strategy. Now, while I wouldn't advise every marketer to change every price to end in a nine, that would be that would be clearly wrong. I think it would be just as bad not to test anything at all. We have to understand the effect charm pricing has on your consumers, and you have to test out whether it will impact your sales. Running a simple A-B test to compare your product's price couldn't be simpler, and it will provide you an answer to the question we all want to know, if charm pricing really is the greatest trick in marketing. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Nudge. I've always been fascinated by charm pricing and really enjoyed putting this episode together. And I hope you enjoyed it too. Slightly different without a guest on, so get in touch if you've got any feedback. But I need to let you know that this episode wouldn't have been possible without the brilliant book Priceless by William Poundstone. The book neatly details the history of charm pricing and how it has been used over the years. If you want to check out Priceless, and I really suggest you do, I've left a link to the book in the show notes. Now, Nudge will be back in two weeks with another episode, so to make sure you don't miss that, hit subscribe to get notified when it goes live. You can also sign up to the Nudge mailing list by clicking the link in the show notes. I'll email you as soon as the show goes out. And for those of you who, who do have feedback, either on this show or the podcast in general, you can get in touch with me on Twitter at P underscore Agnew, or you can connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm Phil Agnew there. Just write me a note or a message and I'll respond to you straight away. I'd love to hear from you. So please do get in touch. Anyway, that is all for today. Thank you again for choosing to listen to Nudge.